passage, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. And this morning I want to share with you from uh, that passage a little bit, but then also I'm going to be sharing a, a known sermon that will invite you to participate with me. But first out of Luke 24, verses 1 to 12, uh, on the first day of the week, in the, at the early dawn, they came to the tomb, thank you, Hammer, uh, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and must be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned to the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now, they were there, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, which is also the mother of Jesus. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. I love the honesty of Luke. In other translations, it, it comes out like this. It seemed like an idle tale. And, and they did not believe them. They would not believe them. Verse 12, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking inside, and he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. Lord, I ask you for grace to awaken our hearts again. Lord, not only to see, but to, uh, to hear what you want to speak to us today. We pray that, Father, in faith and in agreement and in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, hey, my youngest granddaughter, who I didn't know was going to be here today. She's here. Uh, she is absolutely is at this stage that she enjoys having uh, books read to her, and when she's over here and when she's at our home, normally, when when it's you know some time to try to wind things down. Okay, would you like to read a book? Interestingly, we have um, like a bookshelf full of books, but she usually only reaches for like two, and they're you know mattering how you want to look at this, the same ones that she reached for the last time. Right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about when, they're in that, when, when young kids are at this stage? They want to hear something very familiar. And to the point then that she would not only want Oma to read it, and then she wants Opa to read it, and then she wants somebody else to read it, and then she says, oh, no, now I'll read it. Right? And because now this is an important part of development because for kids, they need to know, they, they want to be able to connect to something that's their story's connected to. So even, even as she's, you know, reading the story back to me, interestingly, she's throwing in cues that are very familiar to the very same cues that her mom and her dad will say to her in just a few short minutes when it's time to leave, only five more minutes, she says to Teddy as she's putting him down for bed in the book. Five more minutes, that's all you're going to get. 
the older I get, the more I believe that we need bedtime stories. Now, I don't want anybody to mishear what I'm about to say. Because I'm not, talk, I'm not saying that the story of the resurrection is a, quote, bedtime story. What I'm saying is we need to be reminded and to proclaim to one another, this is our confession. Uh, part of the error of, of modern evangelicalism is that in an effort to be relevant, we have forgotten to remind ourselves of what's true. Does this make sense, what I'm trying to say right now? We're always wanting to present it in some true new spin on it when the core of our confession is that Christ has died and Christ has risen. And so as we come together purposefully, part of what we want to do is to proclaim, oh yeah, this is a deliberate connection of my life to a greater story that's occurring in my life because here's what happens. The, the stories that are happening around us begin to press in on us and begin to tell us another story. You know, I was uh, on a pastoral visit very early in the morning, whatever day that was, sometime in the middle of this week, as a, as a dear friend made her, was about to, oh wait, that wasn't early in the morning, it was before that. <laughs> on both those, it, it made several of them this week, but uh, it was a day or so before she went to go to meet Jesus. Um, and I was there visiting with the family, and they had pictures laid out. And they were doing what a lot of families begin to do. They're starting to look at photos. They're anticipating that mom's going to be with Jesus soon. It's all healthy, really healthy stuff. But here's what begins to happen. You begin to see people lay out these photos, and they're looking at them, and they're saying, oh, my, look at that. Did you see my hair? Um, I mean, if you want to, I actually have a picture on my phone of, one certain friend of ours sitting in the back. It's a really great photo, and I have it held captive in my phone. I'll, I'll be happy to share it with you uh, to hold him captive someday to be reminded of what he looked like way back when he was young. Right, Hammer? Uh, me? <laughs> no. But my point is, it's those places that we connect. And, and so here's what's happening. Watch this beginning to happen. And what they're doing is they're, they're retelling their story. Oh, this is the house that we lived in. And, and that's a picture of me at elementary school. And, and see, they're beginning to see this story. Oh, yeah, what, what's occurring now is all a part of, what, of my journey in life. And see, this is the, what I'm trying to get at is that when we begin to to hear so much of the noise that's occurring around us, the present narrative begins to close in on every side. And, and within us, there is a resignation that can, we can be tempted to resign to, say, that's it. You know, uh, it's been two plus years of what we were told was only going to be a couple of months, Right? And we're now trying to figure out how do we connect. But then, wait a minute, how do we connect with one another without, without disconnecting from the fact that literally millions of lives have been devastated by this illness that has been in our country, just in our country? You know, there's something very, uh, very disconnected to say, let's just get back to normal and then sort of pretend like, oh, we didn't lose a million people and nine million stories that go with that, right? 
there's a reality that it's difficult. And the losses have been long and they have been hard and they've been daily. Now we're watching news reports daily that's occurring. And these headlines that press in around us that begin to say this. This is the press. It's always going to be this way. And we can begin to resign to grief. That's what I'm trying to put my finger on. Why do we need to proclaim the resurrection to one another? Because one is, you're going to be tempted to be resigned to grief and pain and brokenness in this life. And curiously, that is exactly, if, if I'm looking at Luke 24, I believe it's exactly what these women would have been feeling in Luke 24. Now watch this. Maybe even worse. Everything they had hoped for and imagined that they had had their grandparents tell them about and that, that, that rabbis had taught them about that there would be a Messiah and they had followed this man and they had believed he might indeed be the Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth and, and this one who would be king and we proclaimed him that he was king. He raised people from the dead. We saw him heal individuals with our eyes, blinded eyes opened up. But Rome crucified him brutally. And he died. And I, I can imagine early in the morning they're beginning to make their way not to a secret meeting of the of the new government of Israel. They're slowly making their way towards a grave. And, and maybe, maybe as they first got up, they were checking in. Do you have what you need? Do you have what you need? And boy, it's kind of cool this morning. But as they walked closer and closer to the tomb, they're without words. Their mind and their heart consumed with the obvious. Everything that they had hoped for in their broadest imagination is gone. A mother, a friend, a follower. They're returning to a tomb where they laid his dead body. And here's the story that we tell every year. Those individuals who were overcome with grief and sadness. That's the world that we're live, we live in. That is marred with brokenness and sadness. And the weight of it is upon them. They're returning to a tragedy. We face tragedy, almost all of us, in all kinds of different ways. The, 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 the word today that we use a lot is trauma. They're returning to that trauma of Jesus dead body, and on Sunday, they find the stones rolled away. He died, but he's not dead. He's not there. And suddenly, everything changes in their story and in ours. Theologian Alan Culpepper said it right when he observed it, and he put it this way, and I cannot say it any better than this. The stone was rolled away. It's not so that Jesus could get out. 
but that we could see in. See, the good news we proclaim today is that God's story has invaded mankind's story forever and changed the narrative, the narrative that that is heavy and laden with grief and sorrow and brokenness. He died, but he's not dead. Freedom has come to bondage. Hope in the face of despair, life over death. Jesus died, but he's not dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is our confession. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. So the remainder of the time this morning, I want to share what is known in the church as the Easter Paschal Homily, written by St. John Chrysostom. Some estimate around A.D. 400. Uh, He was a church father, an excellent theologian and teacher. And in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, it's repeated every Easter. It's almost as if everyone agrees that it cannot be improved upon. It's all about Jesus. After he died, he went to hell and completely disempowered it, leaving hell and its demons embittered. Now, that's a word you'll hear repeated, which means resentful. Such is the reaction of one who's been deceived or tricked. This speaks of a, of a theory of atonement that I believe and I hold to be right on and true, which is this Christ the victor, or in, in ancient terms, Christus victor. This theory of atonement, which... We see Jesus coming as a human being, the God-man coming. And when he dies, he goes to hell as all humans and sinners must. And then he reveals his true identity. He's now able to bring the full power of God to destroy hell's hold on creation, overcoming death by death, defeating sin by becoming sin. So, this sermon is not just preached, it is participated in. So, every time the speaker says the word embittered, the congregation is to repeat it. So, when I say embittered, we say, same with the word risen. And every time the word dead or death is spoken, the congregation stomps its feet. And like Jesus stomped upon hell. It's a reminder of this festival of Purim and the traditional reading of the book of Esther. So, again, traditionally, this sermon is shared and no one sits. So if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of this sermon. It's short, I promise, shorter than Ben. All right. The Paschal Homily, 407 A.D. If anyone be a devout lover of God, let him partake with gladness from this fair and radiant feast. If any a faithful servant, let him enter rejoicing into the joy of his Lord. If any have wearied himself with fasting, let him now enjoy his reward. If any have labored from the first hour, let him receive today his rightful due. If any have come after the third, let him celebrate the feast with thankfulness. If any have come after the sixth, Let him not be in doubt, for he will suffer no loss. If any have delayed until the ninth, let him not hesitate, but draw near. 
If any have arrived only at the eleventh, let him not be afraid because he comes too late. For the master is generous and accepts the last even as the first. He gives rest to him who comes at the eleventh hour just as to him who has labored from the first. He has mercy upon the last and cares for the first. To the one he gives and to the other he is gracious. He both honors the work and praises the intention. Enter all of you, therefore, into the joy of our Lord. And whether first or last, receive your reward. O rich and poor, one another with another, dance for joy. O you ascetics, O you negligent, celebrate this day. You who have fasted and you who have not fasted, rejoice together. The table is rich laden. Feast royally, all of you. The calf is fatted. Let no one go away hungry. Now we move into our responses. Let all partake of the feast of faith. Let all receive the riches of goodness. Let no one lament their poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one mourn their transgressions, for the feast of forgiveness has risen from the tomb. Let no one fear death, for the death of the Savior has set us free. He destroyed death by undergoing death. He descended into Hades and took Hades captive. He embittered it when he tasted its flesh. And anticipating this, Isaiah exclaimed, Hades was embittered when it encountered the thee in the lower regions. It was embittered, for it was brought to nothing. It was embittered, for it was mocked. It was embittered, for it was overthrown. It was embittered, for it was despoiled. It was embittered, for it was put in chains. Hell received a body, but encountered God. It received earth and confronted heaven. It took what it saw but crumbled before what it had not seen. O death, where is thy sting? O hell, where is thy victory? Christ has risen. And you, O death, are annihilated. Christ has risen. And the demons have fallen. Christ has risen. Let the angels rejoice. Christ has risen. And life reigns. Christ has risen, and let not one dead remain in the tomb, for Christ is risen from the dead, and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be glory and power now and forever from all ages to all ages. Amen and amen. As Alan Culpepper has rightly observed, the stone is rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out but that we could see in. Beloved, the good news we proclaim this morning is that God's story has invaded our story forever. It has changed the narrative. It's worth repeating over and over again. This one who died is not dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen? Would you join me in this closing prayer together? We exult in your love, O God of the living, for you made the tomb of death the womb from which you bring forth your Son, the firstborn of a new creation, and you anointed the universe with the fragrant spirit of his resurrection. 
Make us joyful witnesses to this good news that all humanity may one day gather at the feast of new life in the kingdom where you reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen and amen.